Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. you covered for the next hour right here. Great to have you along, everybody. Uh, I'm Michael Regai and my partner, uh, the incomparable college football analyst and the author of the Bill Steele's College Football Preview each and every year. Phil Steele joins the show. Phil, how are you, man? Everything good? I am doing great, Michael. How about yourself? Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. We had some uh, college football playoff implications that took place last week. We'll get to that a little bit later on. But, Phil, as always, we want everybody to know this is your opportunity to get with us. You can uh, chat with Phil and yours truly, the number to call in as we discuss uh, everything that's going on and will go on in college football, 646-668-2248. That's 646-668-2248. We've got a jam-packed hour for you. A little bit later on, we're going to take a look at uh, some of uh, of those that we know you're interested in that uh, maybe are uh, non-Power 5 conference, so to speak. So we're going to give the whole landscape of college football a look-see Phil, we got to start, though, this week in East Lansing, Michigan. Uh, Mark D'Antonio and his Michigan State Spartans. Phil, they had a four-touchdown lead uh, during a most impressive performance uh, uh, under the Golden Dome as they then uh, held on to defeat Michigan State, while Wisconsin and Paul Christ come in uh, scuffling a little bit uh, in their win, albeit a win over Georgia State. Do you think they were looking ahead a little bit and assess this one for us as it turns into a huge one here in week one of Big Ten play. Yeah, and four big ranked versus ranked matchups this week, Michaels, and looking forward to each and every one. So let's break down this one right out of the box. Now, i got to say I watched every play of both games last weekend, and Wisconsin's offensive line really struggled. Yes, I know Corey Clement was out. Yes, I know 
They lost their number two and number three running backs early, but there's still no way against that Georgia State defensive front, just giving up basically six yards of carry, that they struggled to run the ball. They were getting one, two, three sometimes yards of carry, really failed to establish a line of scrimmage. They had to be looking ahead to this week's game against Michigan State, but I came away very nonplussed with the Wisconsin run game. I thought they were much better when they averaged just 3.2 yards per carry, but it came against LSU uh, in the opener. Also, the quarterback situation, a little bit of a, a spot. Now, Bart Houston had been the starter all year, but last week Hornibrook came in and really gave him a little bit of a spark at the QB spot. We'll see what happens there. And defensively, they're still stout. They're only allowing 261 yards per game. Now, with Michigan State, uh, I loved the, watching that game last week. They were one of my upset plays, and uh, the Spartans are always great when they're an underdog. Nobody gave them a chance, and as you touched on, Michael, they got out to the big lead and then held on at the end. I uh, like L.J. Scott at running back. Tyler O'Connor is a quarterback that now has engineered victories at Ohio State and at Notre Dame. And, of course, that defense can be downright nasty. They're giving up just 2.5 yards per carry this year. Love the defensive line and the secondary. But Michigan State's now in the at home in the favorites role. I don't think they'll play with the same fervor they did last week, even though this is the Big Ten opener. So situation-wise, I give Wisconsin a little bit of an edge, but i still got to go with the talent here. I like Michigan State to win this something between four and seven points this week. Yeah, that's a great point you make, Phil, as uh, we get strong as steel rolling today. Always seems to be the M.O. for Mark D'Antonio's squad. But they set that chip on their shoulder. You make them uh, feel like uh, they're not getting respected or the underdog, and performances like the one last Saturday show up. 646-668-2248. Let's get it rolling here on Strong as Steel today. Michael Regai, Phil Steele. Let's go to the great state of North Carolina. And we said we're going to discuss uh, the non-Power 6 conferences. Uh, here's John with some thoughts on the Sun Belt. What do you say, John? Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for taking the call. I, I'm a big fan of uh, Phil. I had all the magazines. I think it was, must have been 15, Phil, or at least. And my Appreciate wife made that, me thin them out a little bit last year. But <laughs> I, you were very high in Arkansas State and the, in the magazine, and I know they had a, a tough early schedule, and I had them even losing two out of three, and I thought they'd win against Toledo. But I want to know whether or not I should keep them or dump them. All right. And thank you for uh, getting the magazine for the last 15 years, John. I really appreciate that. Uh, Arkansas State has disappointed me a little bit. You know, I thought Chad Wojtek coming into the season would have a big year. The pit transfer coming in had a firm grasp on that starting uh, quarterback job, and uh, it sort of slipped away from Justin Hansen got the bulk of the work last week. I liked what I saw, though, in that game against Utah State. They gave up two defensive scores early, trailed 24 to nothing. Uh, but rallied back, made a game of it, gave up a late touchdown to lose by 14. But I like, finally like what I saw at Arkansas State. Let's keep in mind, they were catching an Auburn team off a loss and a Toledo team that's really gone on to impress me in each of their games. So I'm still bullish on Arkansas State being a legitimate contender in the Sun Belt Conference. Warren Wan, the diminutive running back, 175 yards so far this year. And defensively, they've got some guys up front that I think once they get into conference play, a guy like D-Liner, Javon Roland-Jones, Waylon Roberson, these are guys that can have that impact once the season goes on. So as much as I've been disappointed with Arkansas State in the first three games, I say, hold on, don't sell Arkansas State yet. Let's keep hold of them because I still think they're a legitimate contender in the Sun Belt. And uh, thanks for the call, John. Really appreciate it. 
Yeah, Sunbelt, uh, always interesting to be sure. Of course, uh, South Alabama squad that uh, certainly has the opportunity to do good things as uh, this Sunbelt Conference play kicks in. Great to have all of you along. 646-668-2248. Phil Steele is here. I'm Michael Regai. We're strong as steel as uh, we take you through the college football landscape. We'll touch on so many different things as we go through the course of the show. Let's uh, go from one Carolina to the other. We head to South Carolina, uh, SEC. Oh, many are wondering about the SEC now with, uh, shall we say, a little bit of a, a slow start for the conference coming out of the gate. Here's Brian. Brian, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Phil. Uh, thank you for having me on. How are you doing? Good, good. I was wondering, uh, with both offenses struggling a little bit, who you think has a better chance of scoring in the LSU-Auburn game? All right, and, uh, you know, this is going to be one of those games where whoever loses this game, you talk about a coach on the hot seat. Can you imagine if uh, all of a sudden uh, Gus Malzahn has got three losses or if two losses are ready for Les Miles and a team that was thought to be a national title contender? A lot of pressure here. And I like both defenses. Uh, You know, you look at LSU's defense, they're holding opponents to 159 yards below their season average. You look at that Auburn defense this year, uh, yes, last week they gave up 478 yards to Texas A&M, but I like their defensive front. And if you have a strong defensive front, odds are you'll probably be able to slow down Leonard Fournette a little bit, at least better than they did last year when Fournette ran wild and they ran for 411 yards and 8.6 yards per carry against that Auburn defense. Now, we've seen a different LSU offense with Danny Etling coming on the field, and last week's final score for LSU was a little misleading. That thing was 23-3 to at the half and 23-6 to late fourth quarter. LSU went for it on fourth down, and they got stuffed. Now, had they gotten that first down, Les Miles said it would seem like it would have been a walk in the park. But after getting stuffed on fourth down, Mississippi State brought in their backup QB Williams. He drove him down the length of the field, scored a touchdown, recovered the onside kick, scored another touchdown. All of a sudden, it's a three-point game in what appeared to be a snoozer. So I think LSU is going to be a team that doesn't let up in the fourth quarter this week. I do like Auburn's rush defense against Fournette, but I think Danny Etling will give him enough of a pass offense, throwing to guys like Trayvon Durrell and Malachi Dupree, guys with NFL futures. And on the other side of the coin, I'm still not impressed with the Auburn offense. I know they put up that 706 yards against Arkansas State and 399 last week, but uh, it'll be interesting to see Sean White, John Franklin, who's going to eventually win that job. They've got the run game going with Johnson and Petaway, but LSU's got an excellent defense. So add it all up. I'm going to call for LSU to go into Auburn and come out of there with a touchdown win. I appreciate the call, Brian. Strongest steel rolling. This is how we do it each and every time we get together uh, with you. Phil, you know, you just mentioned it uh, briefly, but I, I, I'm curious as to, you know, how Les Miles is going to play this. Brandon Harris, Danny Etling. Do you think that Miles is just virtually might actually go week to week with uh, his gut feel as which quarterback is going to give him the best chance to win that day? You know, right now it's Danny Edling's job. As long as uh, LSU's offense continues to be more impressive than it was against Wisconsin in the opener, I think it'll be Danny Edling. You know, they gave Brandon Harris two-plus years to take that job. Yeah, we could talk about his size. We could talk about his arm strength. We could talk about his mobility. Bottom line, just didn't get it done. So the job is Danny Edling's right now. Unless, of course, they've got zero points at the half against Auburn, and you may see the emergence of Brandon Harris. But as long as they continue to have success on offense, I believe the job will be Danny Edlings. Very interesting. It's going to be a fascinating watch going forward, as it always is with Les 
miles. 646-668-2248. You see how we do this? We go all over the college football landscape and get you Phil's thoughts, what his computer may say, and uh, how the the expectations are for uh, games that involve your favorite teams and your favorite programs throughout the country. Uh, let's check in in ACC territory, the game that is, but we head to the great state of New York at 646-668-2248 here on Strong as Steel. Let's uh, check in with John with some Clemson, Georgia Tech thoughts. What's going on, John? How are you today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for asking. I, I know everybody's looking ahead to the Clemson-Louisville game after Louisville's great victory over Florida State. But I'm thinking, do you think we need to be worried at Clemson about their upcoming game with Georgia Tech since they're, you know, getting Georgia Tech at Georgia Tech on a short week? (laughs) All right. That's a great question, John. And, you know, later in the broadcast, we're going to go over teams on upset alert. I would put Clemson in that box this week for the following reasons. Now, first of all, if you go to uh, Phil Steele Plus this weekend, and I've tweeted it out on my Twitter at, at PhilSteel042 earlier. I give the last 19 years matchups of Georgia Tech-Clemson, which gives you every stat that happened in the last 19 years. The biggest stat that stands out to me is the home team has now won seven in a row in this series. You look at the fact that Georgia Tech hosted this game just two years ago and rolled to a 28-6 to win. Now, Georgia Tech's a team that Clemson has to face on a short week. They did benefit from playing South Carolina State. You know Dabo Sweeney Sweeney, uh, worked in some prep time for the option because playing the option on a short week is not an ideal scenario. But this Georgia Tech team is playing like Georgia Tech circa 2014, not 2015. Remember that 14 squad uh, ended up having a great year playing in the ACC title game, winning the Orange Bowl against Mississippi State, as with a confident quarterback in Justin Thomas. Justin Thomas was not that same quarterback last year, but he's back to running the offense the way you thought he would. They've got an experienced running back combo or running back depth there. Last year they had no experience at the running back spot. And the defense playing great. So far this year, they're allowing just 316 yards per game. They're always fired up. The home team's had success. I think Georgia Tech is thinking upset here. And as you mentioned, Clemson's got that big game against Louisville next week, which the entire country will be focused in on. I do think Clemson does come away with the win, but I think it's going to be one of those great Thursday night games come right down to the wire. And probably the biggest factor leaning Clemson in this is that they did have success against the option last year uh, when they played Georgia Tech. They held uh, Georgia Tech to uh, a total of 71 yards rushing and 1.7 yards per carry. So they do have a good defensive lineup with it. I'll call for Clemson to escape with a close win. Really appreciate the call there, John. Hey, you guys are uh, all primed and ready to go. Uh, bringing it strong for us. That's the way you got to do it. The show is entitled Just That Strong as Steel with the preeminent uh, college football analyst and the author of uh, Phil Steele's College Football Preview, Mr. Phil Steele. I'm Michael Regai. That number to get a hold of us again is 646-668-248. Love your energy. Love your enthusiasm early on. Uh, Twitter, you, you guys have been doing a fabulous job on Twitter as well. And, Phil, we want to remind everybody now, you know, if you're, you're not able to get to us uh, uh, via the phone, you can tweet your questions at the show at Phil Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E-042, at Michael Regai, R-E-G-H-I, our producer, the incomparable uh, Jim Nabosna, N-A-B. 
OZNA. You can also tweet uh, the at Jim, and we certainly will be taking a look at all. And you guys have, uh, we said, done a great job with that as well. So keep your tweets coming too. Now, Phil, we just had a uh, a question uh, uh, regarding uh, the ACC matchup between Clemson and Georgia Tech. So it got me to thinking here. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong. Do we not have this week an undefeated Big Ten team and an undefeated ACC squad getting ready to clash to see which one of them is going to stay among the ranks of the unbeaten, Phil? Is that not a fact? An undefeated Power Five clash, which I'm sure every listener is looking forward to, or actually right now, every listener is trying to figure out what the heck game are you talking about, Michael? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, what are we talking about, Phil? Because no one would, I think, have uh, put this down and taken it to make a big play at Vegas four weeks in. But you go ahead and lay it out for us. Uh, well, what we're looking at here is the undefeated Indiana Hoosiers from the Big Ten, two and zero. And two impressive victories with over Florida International and Ball State, granted. And Wake Forest, which comes in 3-0. and And, you know, I tell you what, Dave Clawson didn't step into a great situation there at Wake Forest, but he's making lemonade out of lemons. And uh, I like the, the talent. They keep getting old, uh, older each year. They're, they're now more experienced than what they have been. They went into Duke earlier this year and beat them 24-14. to And there is no doubt Wake has the defensive edge. Last year we saw their defense play extremely well. You look at games like Florida State, which they held to 24 points last year. Louisville, they held to 20 points. Clemson, they held to 33, which wasn't bad. And now they're playing that same type of ball on defense. But Indiana's defense has shown me some improvement this year. They have yet another new defensive coordinator this season. But if you look at their stats this year, they're actually holding opponents to 42 yards per game below their season average. So their defense playing well. Now, offensively, you give the edge to Indiana. Richard Lago's looking pretty good at the QB spot. He's another big quarterback like Sudfeld was last year. He's hitting 65% of his passes. They've got Devine Redding in the backfield, a 1,000-yard rusher from last year, who's rushed for 245 yards so far this year. And meanwhile, for Wake Forest, they started the year with John Wolford as the starting QB, and then Kendall Hinton beat him out. Well, Hinton's going to be out three to four weeks, so they're back to Wolford. But, of course, Wolford has a ton of experience. He's been the starter the last two years. So I think this is going to be an excellent matchup. We're going to learn a lot about the two. I know that it's, not, it's going to go completely under the radar, even though both teams are unbeaten in big-time conferences. But I'm going to go with the Indiana Hoosiers at home to win this one by about 10 points this weekend. I think it'll be a fun one to watch. Fun for college football. Remember, the bottom line on this one, you'll want to dial by. Undefeated Power 5 matchup, Big Ten, ACC, Indiana, and Wake Forest. Phil, that's kind of the essence, so we're we're energized about it because this is what you get each and every week in college football, things that maybe you certainly didn't plan for as the season began to unfold. So this one will be fascinating. Yeah, it's going to be a great game to watch. And, uh, you know, the winner of this game – a pretty good shot at getting to a bowl game, and I think the loser still does as well. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be fun to watch. Excellent stuff. Uh, Phil Steele is with us. We are uh, strong as steel. You get this uh, each and every week, Wednesdays at one p.m. And of course, uh, Phil, we have opportunities also for our college football ardent fans that love to get uh, your assessments and your information. Um, and there's a couple of different ways, too, of course. Uh, at philsteel.com is always a sure bet. 
But Phil uh, has uh, something that he calls Phil Steel Plus, and at inside the press box. Now, Phil, you put up a uh, tutorial this week on how to view all the information and how to break down all the information that uh, you find when you break a game down on Phil Steel Plus. So give us an idea and how that unfolded for you, uh, what you're looking to accomplish with um, uh, those that are checking it out, and how they can get a hold of it. Yeah, the Phil Steel Plus. Now, if you're an Inside the Press Box member, I do want to let you know the Phil Steel Plus is yours free. You get to go around, twirl around my website as much as you want. And it's the – what we do on uh, – philsteel.com was basically started because I wanted my information on, on the uh, site where I could quickly access all of it. This gives you team pages with information back to 2009, gives you last 19 years matchups, box scores on every game, starts. I mean, there's so much information. My best word of advice is this. Go to philsteel.com. Go for the blog that talks about the tutorial for the uh, Phil Steel Plus and just check it out. It's a nice little five to eight minute segment, but it really takes you around the entire site, lets you know the best way to use it. We spent tens of thousands of hours compiling all these stats, and you get it for the access of either free if you're an Inside the Press Box member or this week just 39 it goes up to 49 next week next season it's probably gonna be 99 dollars. so enjoy this trial year of the phil steel plus right now but the best thing to do check out that tutorial this week i don't want to spend a lot of time here on the podcast talking about it check out the tutorial you'll be amazed at the amount of information and the way to use it by using phil steel plus but i think we got some callers uh right now michael yeah we do Yep, I can verify, though, that uh, your uh, your Phil Steel Plus tutorial is going to be something you won't want to miss. You don't want to miss anything that we have going on here each and every week, either on Strong as Steel. Here's the number that uh, you need to lock in with, 646-668-2248, 646-668-2248. Let's uh, head way out west into Pac-12 country. Here's Tyler from the state of Oregon, uh, thinking maybe about uh, how the Oregon State Beavers will fare this week. Hey, Tyler, how are you? Uh, I'm fine. By the way, it's pronounced Oregon. I just have to get that off my yes. chest right away. Uh, <laughs> yes, hi, sir. Hi, Phil. Hi, hi Tyler. Uh, uh, just wanted to let you know I've been uh, subscribing to your magazine for 13 years. I don't even bother with anybody else's anymore, so thanks for all the hard work you put in. Thank you, Tyler. Um, my, so my question is, does Oregon State have any shot at pulling off an upset with Boise State coming in this week? And just as a follow-up, I was curious, are there any teams not in the Power Five we should be keeping an eye on besides Houston? All right, great questions. And uh, once again, thank you for the continued uh, purchase of the magazines. I uh, really, really appreciate that. Now, yeah, I think Oregon State's got a shot. I'm going to go back to their opening game of the season when they played Minnesota. You know, they've got a, a new quarterback this year, Daryl Gerritsen, who comes over from Utah State, and I like the way that Gerritsen's throwing the football. He's got Victor Bolden to throw to on the outside, and Bolden's been a little bit of a weapon in the run game as well. He's actually right now the team's leading rusher, despite only four uh, rush attempts on reverses. And then you got a Seth Collins there, who was a starting quarterback last year. He's moved to receiver, really adapted. So there is some talent on the offensive side of the ball for Oregon State. And defensively, they held Minnesota to 280 yards, which, uh, you know, Minnesota's other game, they gained almost 600 yards offense. That's a pretty good defense. This is a vastly improved Oregon State team, one that I think would be about a two-touchdown favorite over last year's Oregon State team. They're at home. They're off a bye, and they're an underdog against a Boise State team that's 
also off a bye coming into this one. Now, Boise went into Washington State earlier this year, got out to a good-sized lead, and then it turned up close at the end. I like the way Brett Rippon's throwing the ball last year and this year, although he only has a 3-3 ratio, so he doesn't have quite the stats he had last year, despite taking on two defenses that uh, are beatable. And then McNichols, of course, a running back, Spurbeck a receiver. Defensive edge does go to Boise. I think Boise's the stronger team here. But, yeah, I, I'm going to give Oregon State a puncher shot here, especially after going into Minnesota and losing by seven. I'll go on the record saying I think Boise State wins the game, but it should be a, a fun game to watch. And uh, what, what was the second question Tyler had? I think he had another one there, Michael. Well, I thought uh, that was it. He was just telling okay. you how much he's uh, enjoyed you down through the years. Six four six 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 eight. Oh no, I know what it was. I know what it was. What was it? he was he was talking about another uh, team besides Houston out of the the uh, the non power five conferences, the group of five conferences. And the I'm going to throw two names out to you. I'm going to throw three names out to you actually. One of them is Boise State. If they survive this test, I think they have a good shot to run the table. San Diego mm-hmm. State, they're going to they could be everybody be okay. favored in every game. And wouldn't that be something if we had 12 and 0 Boise State against 12 and 0 San Diego State in a Mountain West title game? Possibility exists. I wrote about that in the magazine at the start of the year. And then don't sleep on Western Michigan. They're rowing the boat yeah. over there and uh, doing yeah. a great job of it. So those three teams, I think, are the ones that have the best shot besides Houston. And once again, thanks for the call. P.J. Fleck and those Western Michigan Broncos. How about wins already in Evanston against the Northwestern Wildcats at home against NC Central. But then they took out Lovey Smith and the Fighting Illini as well last week. If you don't know who running backs Jamari Bogan and Jarvion Franklin are, you better start to, uh, get those names etched in your college football memory. Let's head to uh, the great state of Michigan, as a matter of fact. I will bet you that uh, Adam knows all about uh, Jamari Bogan and Jarvion Franklin. Adam joins us on Strong as Steel with some thoughts on Western Michigan. What's going on, Adam? You rowing the boat with P.J. Fleck? I am, I am. Actually, it's funny you guys just touched on this. Um, some folks here in Kalamazoo are thinking there is a chance uh, for Western to run the table after the two wins against the Big Ten uh, and the fact that the Toledo game is at home at the end of the year. Uh, I wanted to get Phil's take on the uh, seven-and-a-half-point line uh, playing host to Georgia Southern, who uh, won this game in September last year, 43-17, to 17, um, but uh, Western has the big road game against Central Michigan on deck. All right, and uh, we really appreciate the call, and uh, Adam, and uh, let's talk about this matchup. And, yeah, Central Michigan is huge on deck because that's it's going to be a major Mac West game, Toledo the other main team. And, of course, don't discount Northern. They haven't lost any games in the MAC yet, and somehow at the end of every year, Northern Illinois is playing in that MAC title game. So it is just a, a, going to be a highly competitive MAC West. But as you know from reading the magazine this year in my Western Michigan write-up, I said this team has the potential to win two games over the Big Ten teams, uh, be undefeated at the end of the year, and I had them listed as one of the top group of five teams, and they're living up to that potential. Zach Terrell hitting seventy percent of his passes, and they've got one of the better receivers in the country nobody's heard of, and Corey Davis. This guy's got NFL written all over him. Bogan and Franklin, as my buddy Michael pointed out, is a dynamic running back combo. These guys in just three games have combined for 630 yards rushing, and the defense playing pretty well. They're holding their opponents to 60 yards below their season average, and they haven't given up over 320 yards in any game this year. Now, Georgia Southern last year, 
Uh, I had as an upset play in my inside the press box because they were in a great situation. They were off a blowout loss to West Virginia, so people were dumping on them. They were at home for their home opener, and they were catching Western Michigan off a massive effort against Michigan State on a Friday, a game that was very much hyped by all the, the Western Michigan fans. And so I'll add it all up. Western Michigan came in there, a good-sized favorite in the game, and Georgia Southern, with running the option, smoked them in that one, 43-17. Well, now Western's had a chance to go against the option. Let's keep in mind, Georgia Southern has a brand-new head coach this year. They're actually throwing the football a little bit more than they did last season. So far, they're throwing it about 14 times per game. Last year, they only threw it about 10 times per game. And Fabian Upshaw, while exciting, hasn't looked quite like the Fabian Upshaw we saw in the bowl game, which was an unstoppable player. He is, he's got 216 yards rushing. He's hitting 51% of his passes so far this year. Georgia Southern's defense playing well, but look who they've played. Savannah State, which is one of the weakest FCS teams out there. South Alabama and ULM. So they're taking a step up in the schedule. Meanwhile, Western Michigan's already played Northwestern and Illinois. They're at home. They're playing with legitimate revenge. And I like the fact they've now seen this offense already. Uh, add it all up. I like Western Michigan to win this one by a couple of touchdowns this week. So I think you're going to be a pretty happy camper after this game's over, Adam. Appreciate the phone call. Yeah, you know, Phil, it's something, you know, and Adam mentioned about um, running the table. Um, yeah, we've thought that about uh, a few MAC teams uh, down through the years. Toledo comes to mind. You mentioned Northern Illinois, who are sitting at 0-3 right now. But, you know, Western Michigan at Central Michigan, they get Northern Illinois at home. Then they got to go to Akron and go see Terry Bowden's squad. And then, of course, uh, the, the wind-up of the year against their MAC West rival, Toledo. So, you know, I don't know, Phil, love to see it, but uh, that that might be a tall task because, of, you know, the competition level that they've still got to see. I think that Central Michigan game on the road is going to be maybe the toughest of the bunch with the exception of Toledo because I tell you what, uh, Michael, as I pointed out earlier, I think we were talking about Arkansas State. This Toledo team has really impressed me. Jason Candle doing a great job. You look at their three games this year. Yeah. They just haven't even been close. And that Maine team they beat, I do a weekly radio show in Maine every week, so I'm pretty familiar with mm-hmm. them. Maine's got a good defense, and they had a brand-new offense, which would look good. And uh, the Maine folks, when I did the show that week, they're thinking, hey, maybe we can beat Toledo. 45-3, to it wasn't even close. And that Black Bear defense, if you go back and look at them through the years, they usually allow about 300 yards per game. So all three yep. games, very impressive for Toledo. Wouldn't that be something if we had 11-0 Toledo and 11-0 Western Michigan mm. at the end of the year? That'd be fabulous. That would rock the college football world a little bit, wouldn't it? That, that, it and, sure and would. Not out of the realm of uh, – I agree with you, though, the trip to Central Michigan because John Bonamigo, he's got, got his squad rolling, and, and oh, Cooper yeah. Rush is just having a phenomenal, phenomenal start of the season throwing the football with, uh, with Jesse Kroll you, you, and uh, Mark Chapman and his outstanding receiving core. Yeah, and as, as uh, controversial as a win over Oklahoma State was, I thought they all played Oklahoma State in the game, deserved to win it. So I, I think Bonamago's yes, doing a phenomenal right. job. He you know is. who we haven't heard from yet, Michael? And that would be Jim that? with some Twitter questions. Our man Jim. <laughs> Our esteemed producer, Jim Nabosna. Jim, as I mentioned, hey, big ups to uh, all of our Strongest Steel uh, fans and listeners. Jim, they've just uh, blown up uh, tweeting today at the show. Give us a sample, Jim. I know there's some terrific ones. What do we have today? Uh, we have a bunch. We are riled up for this weekend. And we'll start off with Taylor at Taylor Quinn 112. 
He wants to know if you see UCLA putting a game together this weekend, living up to their potential, and beating Stanford. Well, if you watched Stanford and USC last week, you're thinking, wow, I watched Stanford against UCLA last year. Stanford just ran the ball down UCLA's throat again. Uh, you know, the, they pretty much have controlled the line of scrimmage, but they ran for 311 yards and 6.5 yards per carry against UCLA last year. And last week against USC, McCaffrey had about 100 yards rushing before he was even touched. I mean, before the first touch. So the offensive line just blew away USC's young defensive line, 295 yards rushing, 6.3 yards per carry. Now, I do think UCLA has a shot this week, and here's why. Last year's UCLA defense was one that was uh, very injury-plagued. In fact, at the start of the year when I talked to Coach Moore, I had three players with a star in a circle around them, and all three guys were gone by week three of the season. Now, this year, their defense is much improved. In fact, when you look at them defensively, uh, they're giving up just 348 yards per game. they got Vanderdose back at the defensive tackle spot. They're allowed Stouter up front, so I don't think Stanford's going to be able to just run the ball down their throat. Now, offensively, you know, Josh Rosen isn't having a great year so far. He's got a 4-4 ratio. He's working in a new offense, but it's his fourth week in the new offense. And last week, they did lead BYU 17 to nothing on the road. Holding me back here from calling for a UCLA upset right out of the box is the fact that they have struggled every year against Stanford. This is another one of those I posted on Twitter at Phil Steele 042, a last 19 years matchups. Go to my Twitter, scroll down and look at this. You'll see that Stanford has won the last eight in a row in this series, and a lot of them haven't even been close. So they've got the conference domination. UCLA's at home. You know this is one of the most important games of the year for Jim Mora. He needs to get past Stanford. Uh, to me, this one's a toss-up. Comes right down the wire. I think it's going to be one of the best games of the weekend. Appreciate the tweet there, Taylor. Keep rolling, Jimmy Boz. Sounds like okay, you got some Tom, strong ones. Let them roll. Tommy Touchy would like to know, do the injuries to Middle Tennessee wide receiver core make them an upset candidate versus Louisiana Tech this weekend? Uh, not only the injuries to the receiving core, which, by the way, has been going on all year. So, I mean, their receiving core got banged up in August and has suffered further depletion now. But they still threw for 278 yards last week against BG. They got a pretty good quarterback in Brent Stockstill, and he's uh, he's turning some guys into stars at the the uh, receiver position. But also probably putting him into the category for the upset is the strength of Louisiana Tech. That's a pretty good football team that uh, Skip Holtz is putting on the field. You look at that opening game of the season against Arkansas. They only lost by a point, taken on Arkansas on the road, and I thought they played a decent game at Texas Tech. Now. As I pointed out, and if you go to that Phil Steele tutorial I, I mentioned on Phil Steele Plus, last year Texas Tech averaged 60 points per game at home and 33 mm. points per game on the road. Well, they held Texas Tech to 59 points on the road. But uh, I like what uh, Tech's got this year. Ryan Higgins is is not Driscoll from last year, and I don't think he's going to match Driscoll's stats, but he's having a pretty good year. Sitting 64%, he's got a 7-2 ratio. Jared Kraft has really emerged at the running back spot. He's got 314 yards rushing, and uh, it's a quality Louisiana Tech team. So I think this one comes down to the wire. I still think middle at home, probably the better team. I'm going to call for middle to escape with the win, but uh, they should be on upset alert. Appreciate the tweet there, Tommy Touchy. And I believe Tommy has been a regular. I think we've had a tweet from him each week. The name's very familiar. Uh, He's on it. He knows Strongest Field is a place to go. 
That's great stuff. Hey, let me jump in here real quick because, Phil, you know, you're discussing coaching. You and I love to discuss uh, coaching philosophies and uh, how certain matchups will play out because of it. Do you find the potential clash of styles this week as Dino Babers in Syracuse uh, tangles with uh, Bob Diaco and his UConn Huskies? Now, that could be a contrast that uh, the, maybe the one that's got the uh, the strongest will is going to prevail in that. Would that be accurate? Yeah, I think if it's a high-scoring game, I'm going to say Syracuse has won. If it's a low-scoring game, I'm going to say Connecticut has won because these are probably the two biggest contrasts in styles in college football. Uh, Bob Diaco freely admits that his offense is not one that's flashy. It's not a spread offense. They'll use the tight end. They'll use the fullback. They want to run the football. They want to shrink the clock. They want to protect the defense, keep the defense fresh. And it's worked. I mean, last year they made it to a bowl game. You look at how they did uh, defensively last year. They gave up 355 yards per game. This year, once again, 352 yards per game. So it works. They play good defense. On the flip side of the coin, in the opening game of the season, uh, Dino Babers uh, and Syracuse took on Colgate, and they ran a total of 81 plays. And Dino Babers said at that time, he goes, that was like watching paint dry. That's the slowest you'll ever see us move. We've got to be a lot faster than that. Second week of the season, they increase it. They run 93 plays. Last week, 105 plays against USF. And to give you the contrast mm. in styles, uh, Connecticut's had 61 and 65 total plays the last two weeks. So you have a complete different contrast in style. Syracuse wide open. I think what happens is if Connecticut can continue to generate first downs and keep that Syracuse offense off the field, it will greatly benefit them. Sort of takes Syracuse out of its game plan. But if Syracuse is able to get the stops and turn it into that fast-paced game where all of a sudden each team is running 85 plays, then it's a Syracuse's advantage. I think it's going to be one of the fun games of the weekend to watch. I do see Connecticut prevailing at home, so I'm going to call for a little bit of a lower-scoring game. But uh, I'm going to really enjoy that contrast of styles. At times, Phil, I, I think that we don't, though, pay enough attention. We as college football uh, watchers and lovers of the game, though, when you run at that breakneck pace, remember, when your time of possession is, is limited because, you're, man, your defense sometimes gets put in uh, quite a, a spot with having to be on the football field quite a long time. So, you know, there's a, there's a little bit of give and take in that philosophy as well. You've you got to trust your defense if you want to go at that breakneck, breakneck offensive pace. You know, and the, the the thing is, I was reading uh, the Art Briles uh, autobiography last year, and he was talking about his offense and the hiring of his defensive coordinator, and he said that basically he told his defensive coordinator, look, I don't care a thing about the stats. It doesn't matter, matter to me one way or another. You just need to get me some turnovers because we're going to score almost every time we have the ball, and I know the other team's going <laughs> to score a lot because you're on the field so much. Get me a few turnovers are going to win the game. So there were games where they gave up 550 yards on defense, but if they generated three turnovers, that defense coordinator was the start of the game for Baylor, and that's, uh, that mm -hmm. was his philosophy. And uh, coaches like Babers, I'm sure, have the same similar uh, philosophy. No question, Dino does. Uh, absolutely with that, as we've uh, called games where, when he was at Bowling Green. We're strong as steel. Great to have you in touch today. 646-668-2248. 646-668-2248. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, has been hard at work today. Hey, Jim, I know we've had um, a couple of tweets regarding the James Franklin taking Penn State to see Jim Harbaugh and his fourth-ranked Michigan Wolverines at the Big House. Why don't you give us a sampling of that? We'll touch on that one. 
Yep, Corey at CP4PSU. He wants to know if his Nittany Lions stand a chance against Michigan this week. All right, and, uh, you know, this is going to be an interesting game to watch for me. Now, the Michigan game last week really turned uh, early in the third quarter. Uh, I thought Colorado was playing a great game against Michigan. In fact, they were up 28-24 to just as uh, Lee Fowle throws the touchdown pass to put him up by four. He gets injured, and he's out for the game. And then I'm watching the game, and I'm looking at the eyes of Montez, the backup quarterback. And granted, it's his first game, and I think Montez will greatly improve uh, the next time he's thrown into the action. But you could tell by the eyes that this was a kid that was just out of his element, playing in front of in the big house in front of that crowd against that defense. Steven Montez hit 0 of 7 for zero yards, and Colorado's offense went out the door. And Michigan ended up winning the game 45-17, to thanks in part to Jabril Pepper's punt return as well. So their offense still struggling a little. But as I mentioned last week, that's a very good Colorado defense. Colorado's got an underrated defense, a junior-senior-laden defense, and uh, I think they're better than a lot of folks expect. Now, Michigan does get a benefit here. They're taking on a banged-up Penn State defense. Penn State just lost Naheem Wardman-White to injury their linebacker. And last week, the other two starting linebackers were both out. There's a potential all three starting linebackers could be out for Penn State as well as potentially a defensive tackle. But... Even with those injuries last week, I watched that Temple game, and Penn State really controlled it more than the final score would indicate. They had a 21-13 first down edge. They fumbled going into the end zone. At the end of the game, a punt went off the blockers out of a punt return's leg and then rolled 30 yards of the one-yard line. Temple got a gift touchdown after that and was able to only lose that game by seven. I thought Penn State, watching the game, probably won it something by about 17 points. So I, I think that Penn State, the fact that they played Michigan tough last year, remember that was only 28-16, to 16, and it was 14-10 to 10 at the half. They're going to come in a confidence bunch. I'd like to see Saquon Barkley 100% healthy. Barkley got injured on the first play last week, didn't return to the third quarter, didn't have a dynamic game. If Barkley's healthy and they can get some of those defensive players back, I think Penn State can make a game of it. So I, I like Michigan to win the game. But uh, I think Penn State could probably keep it to about a couple of touchdowns. Appreciate the tweet. I love Barkley. He is a uh, tremendous, tremendous running back talent. Uh, Michigan, I think about a 19-point favorite at home. You know the thing, though, uh, you know, Phil, and there have been those that have mentioned, uh, you know, a a sputtering, although I thought Michigan ran the football decently last week with uh, Davion Smith and Ty Isaac and the true freshman Chris Evans. But, Phil, I think you'd agree the one thing, though, is that in their receiving core – uh, Amara Darbo, J.U. Chesson, Grant Perry, the sophomores playing very well out of the slot, and then Jake Butt, who arguably is, you know, in the maybe the best tight end in the country, pass catching tight end, certainly in the top three. Man, they got home run hitters. All four of those guys can take the ball to the house right now, and they did that last week in uh, having a big second half against Colorado. Yeah, and they got the quarterback to get it there as well. Wilton Spade is a guy that surprised me when I was talking to the NFL guys, even though Spade hadn't really played. He just had the mop-up duty in the one game last year against Minnesota. Uh, He was on the NFL guys' radar because of his size, because of his arm strength. You know, he comes out, throws an interception on his first pass of the season. Since then, eight touchdowns, zero interceptions. And I think he's taken advantage of his arm and that receiving core. They can stretch the field. Yeah, I do think they get. Uh, I'm seeing they get Jordan Lewis, their uh, their All American uh, cornerback, back this week, and possibly Taco Charlton, their 
uh, all Big Ten defensive end who have missed the first three. 646-668-2248. Phil Steele's here. I'm Michael Regai. We do this each and every week for you. Again, if you can't, um, you know, get away to call the show, you can also get with all of us on Twitter at Phil Steele 042, at Michael Regai, at Jim Nabosna, our producer. Jimmy, let's go. I know, again, I know you've been uh, just inundated with our, our uh, Twitter world today, so go ahead. Keep at it for us. We have another mid, uh, mid-major showdown question from Gregory Pike regarding the Bowling Green versus Memphis game, and he wants to know if this game has two young coaches going at it, and he would like to hear your thoughts on their matchup. All right. Well, you know what? It's been a pretty disappointing year so far for Bowling Green and Mike Jinks. You look at the opener against Ohio State, they were steamrolled, barely got past North Dakota uh, by a point. Uh, North Dakota actually scored a late touchdown in that game and then went for two and got stopped, and BG held on for the one-point win. And then last week against Middle Tennessee, while the yards were fairly even and they played them even early on and ended up losing by 20 points, it's been a different offense with James Napke at the quarterback spot as opposed to Matt Johnson. Well, I thought Matt Johnson was one of the best quarterbacks in the MAC last year. And I'm going to take you back to 2014. Napke was the starter. They averaged 30 points per game. Johnson took over as a starter last year. How about 42 points per game? This year they're back down to 19 points per game. So struggling a little bit with the new head coach. I like the emergence of Josh Cleveland, a running back. He's been a pleasant surprise. He's averaging 6.5 yards per carry. But it's not the same Bowling Green offense as last year. And defensively, they're actually allowing their opponents 97 yards above their season average. So the defense has been a little disappointing. Now Memphis, it's a little different. They have a new head coach, but they're playing pretty good football right now. In fact, last week, they took on Kansas. Now, granted, Kansas is one of the weakest teams in the Power Five, but a Power Five team nonetheless. And they just destroyed them, 43-7. to This coming off of a game against Southern Missouri in the opening game where they, they sort of had an average game. Riley Ferguson's a Tennessee transfer that hit 64% of his passes so far this year. Uh, I like the way that the defense is playing. They're holding their opponents to 87 yards below their season average. So I think Memphis got the better defense. They're at home. They're playing better right now, and it seems to be less of a switch for them. I like Memphis to win this one probably by about three touchdowns. And for BG, they can start looking ahead to the start of MAC season because they haven't dropped the MAC game yet, so they could still get this thing turned around. What else you have, Jim, with regard to uh, all the tweets that our, our fans have uh, sent your way today? Nate King would like to know your thoughts on West Virginia versus BYU, and also your thoughts on West Virginia winning the Big Twelve title. <laughs> well, if you watch Big Twelve play so far, I say. Why not? I mean, West Virginia's unbeaten. And uh, the difference is really Skylar Howard. Because uh, last year, and if you're a West Virginia fan, which I'm sure you are, Skylar Howard last year had a season where he was just miserable some weeks. And then in the bowl game, he just lit it up. And he came out in the opening game of the season. I thought he looked pretty good against Missouri. He had 23 of 37 passes. So he's doing well. They've got the pit transfer, Russell Shell at running back. They've got some dangerous receivers like Dekeel Shorts and Sheldon Gibson to throw to. The defense is... I don't know if it's worthy of winning the Big 12 this year. I mean, they're still giving up 434 yards per game. I think the defense still can be beat. Now, as far as this week's matchup with BYU, I'm going to take you back to last year for a minute. You know, BYU's first three games of the season, all nail biters, all right down to the wire. Nebraska, Boise State, UCLA. 
Then they traveled east for week four, and they just weren't even in the ball game at all. They had nothing left in the tank. Michigan beat them 31 to nothing. It, does that possibility exist? You know, we've seen it before. But the way BYU's playing this year. Now, Taysom Hill is a quarterback who's more of a runner than a passer. Teams are forcing him to stay in the pocket and throw the football. He's got two touchdowns just in four interceptions this year. They need to unleash Taysom Hill's running ability a little bit more this week, even though they shifted the offense. And, and BYU's one of those teams that have changed their philosophy. They've gone from that hurry-up, fast-paced, spread offense to more of an in-the-pocket pocket passing, and they huddle up on plays now, which is completely uh, different than what BYU had been doing. They've got an excellent running back in Jamal Williams, and I like the way their defense is playing. They're actually holding their opponents to 132 yards below their season average. So, offensively, I'm going to give the edge to West Virginia. This game's being played in Landover, Maryland. West Virginia will have the crowd edge, but it's not a true home game for them. But defense, I'm going to give the edge to BYU, and I think they make a game of it here. I'm going to call for West Virginia to escape with a very close win, but I think BYU keeps it under that uh, touchdown that it's there. Thanks for the tweet. Hey, Phil, got to uh, got to ask you about those uh, Louisville cards. Bobby Petrino and his guys stepping out of conference this week. It'll be interesting to see uh, how uh, they fare against Marshall, but Last week, uh, again, your thoughts on Louisville's uh, decimation of Florida State and that young Ohio State squad going into Norman and uh, hanging one on Bob Stoops and his Sooners. Yeah, I tell you what, Louisville just destroyed Florida State. Uh, you know, they got they got them down early, and we've seen Florida State in, in the past. You know, we remember Winston a couple years ago, and even the opening game against Ole Miss. No big deal. They'll come back in the second half. It just seemed like Florida State was more interested in their Showtime series that they're running there with the uh, the documentary on the team <laughs> rather than playing yeah. football in the second half. And uh, Louisville just never gave up. And that's the thing about a Bobby Petrino team. He gets you on the throat. He'll step on your throat. And uh, that's what they did last week. Just a total decimation of Florida State. I thought their defense played excellent, contained all the great weapons Florida State had. And offensively, Lamar Jackson is tough to stop. But, Michael, I can't imagine a bigger sandwich situation in the college football season this year. And what I mean by a sandwich is Louisville's coming off the game of the century. I mean, their their average game grade on philsteel.com for last week was 125, which is one of the highest mm. average game grades put out. They just destroyed Florida State at home. They were pumped up. They were fired up. And guess what? Next week, they've got Clemson in Death Valley, and they lost to Clemson at home in a tight one last year. That's Deshaun Watson. That's not only the ace. If they beat Clemson, you're talking about ACC title game, potential ACC championship, potential national championship implications. And, oh, by the way, you've got this Marshall team that last week lost to Akron by 27 points. Imagine being Bobby Petrino and trying to tell the players that this is an important game you have to be prepared in. I'm going to go back and look at that Marshall-Akron game a little bit closer, Akron had a couple of defensive scores. They had a special team score. Marshall did put up 560 yards in the game. So Chase Litton's a guy that I think can do some damage. He's got a couple of weapons on, on the offensive side to work with. Defensively, they're going to need some improvement. They gave a 524 to Akron. But the fact that it is such a flat spot for Louisville, and we've seen it. Remember, last week, Wisconsin against Georgia State. You know, Wisconsin yep. is a massive flat spot. Tennessee against Ohio U. It happens every week, these sandwich spots. You can't get a bigger sandwich spot this year. I see Louisville winning this one, but I'm only going to call for Louisville to win by something like 17 to 21 points in this. So uh, very impressive Louisville. I tell you what, you talk about uh, we got some big matchups next week. In the MAC, it's Western Michigan at Central. How about Louisville mm-hmm. and Clemson? That's going to be all over ESPN all week long. 
Yeah, that's going to be uh, the, that one will get a lot of attention, no question about it. And uh, I, I'm kind of hoping, as you said, that 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 sound, no disrespect to the uh, the thundering herd of Marshall, but um, I'm hoping that that uh, that sandwich and the the philosophy of having to play that football game between Florida State and Clemson doesn't trip up Petrino and uh, Louisville. Six four six 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 eight twenty two. 48-646-668-2248. I'm Michael Regai. My partner is Phil Steele. And you on this uh, edition of Strongest Steel. Great to have all of you along today. You can still jump on board. We've got time. Uh, a lot more going on. We love when you tweet at the show as well. It's a great way to uh, have your questions and comments uh, heard without uh, maybe having access to getting with us uh, on the phone lines on the show. Jim Nabosna, go ahead. Keep them rolling. A lot of Twitter world with uh, Strong as Steel today. At Eagles Sixers Phillies, would like to know for Phil, Georgia is on the road again this week after sneaking one out last week. Can they go into Ole Miss and pull one out? Yeah, you know, when you look at this matchup, you've got a 3-0 and SEC team against a 1-2 and SEC team, and Georgia's a touchdown underdog in this one. Well, there's good reasons why. You know, last week Georgia needed that 4th and 10 touchdown pass to get past Missouri 28-27. That's a game Missouri even had the ball and uh, fumbled late. Uh, Missouri had five turnovers in that game. So Georgia was plus four in turnovers and only beat Missouri by one. That right there would raise some red flags for me. Now, Jacob Eason has a very impressive arm. Throws the ball extremely hard. They look good in the opener against North Carolina. And maybe they were looking past Missouri a little bit, although I don't see how after struggling to get past Nichols the previous week. With Ole Miss, I was very impressed with the first half against both Florida State and Alabama. I think they showed the talent they have. You look at their defensive front, I think their defensive front can penetrate against a Georgia offensive line that's already given up four sacks to North Carolina and four to Missouri. That's going to be tough for Georgia to go on the road and keep that outstanding defensive line of Ole Miss at bay. And in the same token, I know Ole Miss has been struggling to run the football. I really like to see them run it better. But they've taken on Florida State's defense and Alabama's defense. While Georgia has a good defense, I wouldn't put it in that level. So I think you will see some run game. And the best guy, the best offensive weapon on the field, how about Chad Kelly at QB? Here's a guy who's got 10 touchdowns, four interceptions. I think Chad Kelly has a big game here. Evan Ingram lighting it up at tight end. They've got some dangerous and tall wide receivers. I think Ole Miss's program a little bit further ahead of where uh, George's is right now. And I like Ole Miss to win this one by uh, about 10 to 14 points. So I like the Rebels in that one. Mm. Not quite sure how um... – how uh, the Georgia Bulldogs are going to travel uh, as yet, Phil, in the SEC, huh? Can they win on the road, right? Yeah, they they needed uh, that fourth and ten pass to get past Miss Missouri in their first SEC road game. Yep, exactly. All right, let's uh, let's stay in the SEC because the uh, the East Division this week, Phil. Uh, you know, you got that, uh, and it always seems to be played the very the very first or second week of SEC play when the Florida Gators and the Vols of Tennessee get together. Um, any concern? Do you think that was a classic case last week for Butch Jones and his guys? I mean, but we know how tough Frank Solich and his Ohio Bobcats are, and they went in there and played them physical and played them well. You think Tennessee was peeking ahead a little bit to Florida? Uh, a little bit, but I'm concerned with their offensive line. And let's face it, this is no ordinary Florida defense. That's a Florida defense that's number one in the country. They're allowing 130 yards per game. Now, granted, it was against UMass, Kentucky, and North Texas, but 
they've got talent in all three layers of the defense. That's a legitimate D, and one that does figure to have some success against that Tennessee offensive line. But on the flip side of the coin, you know, Florida's offensive line has looked okay so far against some average defenses. I think Tennessee's defensive line matches up well. Luke Del Rio going to be out for Florida, so that puts the Purdue transfer, Austin Appleby, at the QB spot. Of course, Tennessee's going to be down a couple players as well, including cornerback Cam Sutton, one of the better cornerbacks in the country, is going to miss the game. Now, I've had a pretty good pulse on Tennessee so far this year. I had Tennessee coming off that Appalachian, Appalachian State uh, game and beating Virginia Tech. And then last week I had Ohio. I thought they'd give them a good game, and that they did. I'm going to go right back on Tennessee. And the key here, last year when these two played in the swamp, Tennessee had a two-score uh, lead in the fourth quarter and let it slip away. Uh, I think that showed that last year they were a better team. They are a little more veteran team. I think you get your A-plus performance out of Tennessee this week. Florida's defense is going to be tough to beat, but I've got Tennessee breaking that streak of 11 straight losses to Florida. This is probably one of the most important games of the year for Coach uh, Butch Jones, and I see uh, Tennessee winning this one uh, by by over the seven points. Well, that would make uh, Vol Nation very, very pleased because, Phil, you just said it, and I was going to mention it had you not. I mean, come on now. You know, you you lose 11 times in, in this SEC East matchup in a row, and uh, you know Butch Jones uh, has heard about it and from Vol Nation. And so we'll see, as you said, if they can go end this streak. You know, Phil, every week uh, a lot of our uh, listeners as strong as steel want to know uh, which program might be um, a little bit uh, shaky and rocky and primed for that upset. Come on, partner. Who do you have on upset alert this week? Programs that need to mind their P's and Q's when they get on the football field. Well, I think the ones that really have to look out, two two I'm looking at, and and both I do think will avoid the upset, uh, would be Florida State, which you wonder what their mindset is after that win. We saw LSU lose to Alabama last year, going to tank and lose their next two. And that's South Florida's a pretty talk-on good football team. Taggart's doing a great job with them. They've got the size and speed to play with Florida State. And then how about LSU? You know, LSU's a team that really has one loss they can't afford this week. And then the third one to look at, just because of the way that this series has gone, the last two years, Arkansas has had either a 7- or 14-point lead in the fourth quarter. A&M has rallied to tie, force overtime, and then won it in overtime. So after two straight overtime games, who knows? We might just have a third straight overtime. So I think A&M has to be on upset alert as well. I'm not calling for the upsets, just saying these games should all go down to the wire in each of those three. Sure, keep an eye on them because they're ones that um, that uh, Phil's computer and all the numbers say that could be tighter than many expect. All right, we you know we touched on uh, the Florida State situation. They were right there at the the top of everybody's mindset. Uh, Who's who's your number one football team right now uh, in your mind, Phil? Is it Alabama or is it Ohio State? Well, I'm a voter in the uh, Football uh, Writers Association NFF uh, Super 16 poll. And uh, my three this week, I had number one, Alabama, number two, Ohio State, which is amazing for such a young team to go on the road and play such a good game. You knew the talent was there with Ohio State. They're going to be one of the Mm -hmm. most dangerous teams in the country, and they're just going to get better every week because you come in the least experienced team in the country. But right now I take Alabama in that game. And then number three, the Louisville Cardinal. They deserve it. They just whipped up on a Florida State team last week. So my top three were number one, Alabama, number two, Ohio State, 
and number three, Louisville. And, you know, one interesting thing I wanted to point out about this upcoming weekend, Mike, I want to make sure we tucked it in before we ran out of time this week, is last week North Texas, and this is when I see a statistical anomaly, I, I like to bring it out. North Texas took on sure. the number one defense in the FBS last week in Florida. This week they take on the number 128 defense in Rice. So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how much more potent they are. For the record, my computer, and if you go to the inside the press box at steelsweeklypreview.com, that's steelsweeklypreview.com, it gives you a projected box score on each and every game for the weekend. Well, the projected box mm-hmm. score is calling for North Texas to get 334 yards. So mark it down after the game is over. See how close to that 334 total it is for North Texas in their game against the weakest defense in the country, statistically by the NCAA, and that's Rice. Yeah, wow. Uh, 567 yards a game. I had to look at that a couple of times before I said that's what Rice allows per game. All right. have- hey, Jim Nabosna, let's let's grab one more, Jimmy. You got uh, another quick tweet or two before we got to wrap it up here on Strongest Steel. Okay, Kevin Kaufman, at Kaufman Kevin, would like to know, what are the odds Colorado beats Oregon outright on Saturday despite all the injuries to both squads? Yeah, and this one is uh, who's going to be able to make it to the game. We are, uh, I need to see Sifo Leaf on the field. I saw last week what happened when he was not on the field and what happened in that Colorado offense. Uh, Austin Stadium could be a pretty intimidating place as well. And uh, I think if they have to go to the backup quarterbacks, they could be in trouble. Colorado also just lost a couple of key defensive players, uh, you know, and too bad. Uh, for Coach McIntyre, if not for the injuries, this is a team that really is going to win a lot of games this year. But I think statistically, and you look at this team, they're a good team. They've got the capability of playing with Oregon. Oregon could be down some players. They're missing their left tackle. They could be missing Rice Freeman, a running back. We'll call this one the injury bowl. Uh, hard as it is to imagine, because, I mean, Oregon has dominated this series the last five years. They've not only beaten Colorado, they've beaten them by an average over the last six years, I should say. They've beaten them by an average of about 38 points per game. But I think the Buffs can make a game of it here. I, I think this uh, they, they, you're going to see at the last position of the game, uh, Colorado might have a shot at winning it. So I think there's a chance. Uh, I'd still would side with the Ducks to win the game. But I will say Colorado has a chance, even though they're banged up, because at least Oregon is banged up as well. We have covered a lot of ground today, gentlemen, all over the college football landscape. Uh, that's uh, what we do. Phil, it, uh, we hit not only on the Power Five, we uh, hit on the, uh, the the conferences that we need to keep an eye on as well outside of it. So great stuff today, and we'll look forward to this big weekend of college football and uh, a lot of the things that your computer tells you, and then we'll be back next week to kind of kick it all around again. Sound good? That sounds great. And, you know, one thing I'd like to thank is last week at the end of the podcast, the request that we talk about some games that weren't just among Power 5 teams, and you guys delivered. Thanks for the tweets. Thanks for the phone calls. I love covering as many games in the board as possible. And, and me and Michael are going to continue to do this hurry-up offense. I don't know how many games we covered today. I'm thinking it was 15 <laughs> to 20. But that's like watching paint dry. I'll use a Dino Babers philosophy. We'll try to get there 25 and 30 games covered next week. Right, Michael? <laughs> Yeah, we're not going to worry about playing defensive football at all. We'll just just stay on the aggressive offensive attack. I love it, Phil. Great stuff. Enjoy the watching this weekend. Uh, All of you, as Phil said, we greatly appreciate you being a a solid part of Strong as Steel. You are the lifeblood of what we do. So enjoy your college football weekend, and uh, we'll see you back here next Wednesday at 1 o'clock Eastern time. Our producer, Jim Nabosna, fabulous job, Jim. For Phil Steele, I'm Michael Regai. 
Hope you have a fabulous college football weekend, everybody, and make sure you stay locked in with us right here on Strong as Steel. Till next week, so long. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.